Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. I think we can all agree tonight that we should not handle God's Word carelessly. We should take the preaching of His Word and we should take church life very seriously. I believe that. I believe that there is a great mishandling of God's word in today's culture, in today's churches, in what we would call modern churchianity. I believe that uh, many mishandle God's word and rest the scripture to their own destruction. I believe today people just cherry pick verses, make doctrines out of them. That's why you have to preach all of the counsel of God. Unfortunately, you can't do that in one sermon. You can't do that in one month. When you're preaching on the book of Galatians and you're dealing with Law versus grace, you can't cover everything that the Bible has to say about right Christian living. If you're dealing in the book of Genesis and you're preaching on creation for six months, how in the world are you going to be able to address everything that the Bible says about how a family should train and raise their children for God. You you can't teach and preach everything in one sermon, one month, or even in one year. The Bible's exhaustive. uh, You can't exhaust it, rather. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's look and start reading it at verse number 6. The Bible says, Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Is God a God of order? He is. That's pretty simple to get from this. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an unsample unto you to follow us. Should we all, by way of practical application, be an example to somebody? Yes. We certainly should. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, a lot of people, uh, here's here's an accusation that can be brought against any Christian. Just because you don't agree or see everything exactly, if someone doesn't see everything exactly the way you see it, that doesn't mean they're walking disordered. That doesn't mean that they're not behaving themselves. It doesn't mean that they can't even be an example. Um, But people that say that, when you ask them to work, verse number 10, and you ask them to contribute, and you ask them to, hey, get involved and go out witnessing with us. If you ask them to contribute and help out at a church work day or whatever it is, they're not anywhere to be found. <laughs> but they certainly know the verses before it. Hey, there's something disorderly about this. No, no, there's not. You just haven't stuck it around long enough to be able to get along and have some order. In other words, if you're such a great example, then stick around and be an example. <laughs> Right. (laughs) I mean, for verse 11, we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now, them that are such, we commend and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man abode not a word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Someone's going to be a busybody. They're not going to want to work. They're going to just want to mooch off. Okay, that's one thing. But too many times we nitpick, we nitpick reasons to not keep company. When I try to teach from the Bible unity, 
there's somebody that's going to listen online or someone that's going to visit one time and they're going to sh they're going to turn that steering wheel so hard the other way and say, well, you don't believe in right living? No, I do. I do. I do. I want to live right. But there needs to be some unity so that those that are the great examples can actually be a great example. Rather than come and look for something you don't like and leave. It's not like we have a town that has a dozen independent King James Bible believing and preaching churches that preach against sin. We got a handful in Putnam County. <laughs> it's not like you can go to 20 of them next Sunday and they're all good. First Thessalonians chapter number. Wait a minute. Yeah, First Thessalonians chapter number five. Let's go back. I want to see something else. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse number twelve. The Bible says, "And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you." And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Can I say this? For all of us? Don't we all just want to be, don't we all just want to be loved? Yes. Amen. <laughs> will somebody love me? Isn't that what everybody thinks? Will, 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 will somebody just love me? Isn't that, isn't that what Americans want? Isn't that what Christians want to be loved? Yeah. And it's great. We know we, we know the love of the Father, right? For God so loved the world. I mean, we could never love like Jesus did. People are brought up in horrible situations, horrible home lives. We try to Tell them no one can love you like God the Father. And they just have a hard time understanding how a father can love them when the dad's just been so downright dirty to them. Isn't that hard? We try to. So we know God loves us. We try to get people to understand God's love. But ultimately, at the end of the day, don't we want to have love from the brethren? That's kind of a Christian thing. And. Notice in verse 12, it says, know them which labor among you. I, I will say that I am laboring among you. I am among you. You are among me. Nobody is higher than anybody else. I just get to run my mouth more. <laughs> that's that's what the pastor gets to do. You know, and the pastor's wife can't get away from it. She's got to go home and hear it, and then she's got to come here and hear it. It's not a good spot to be. Look, I'm I'm I'm. I'm joking. I'm, I'm having I'm making light. To kind of bring to light the seriousness of we need to labor among each other and are over you in the Lord. Now, this is the people that can't stay in church because they don't like anybody over. There's do you know that they appointed business out in the church? You read in Acts. It was appointed. People don't like to be appointed. You do this, you do that. That's foreign to me because my dad raised me in the way where, no, you're getting up and we're on the road at 6 a.m. That means you're getting up at 545. We were to do it. We were to obey. We were working out on the farm by 10 years old and it was get up. Any type of job, any type of business, the work is appointed. And the employee that's, that says, well, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, then go home. We have to be okay with somebody saying, hey, step up and do this. We want to have a church where everybody has the opportunity to serve, but we can't be so high that nobody can tell us what to do. I'm not kidding. If Brother Kelly said to me after church, hey, we need to have the downstairs, we want to have that whole thing painted by such and such a date. I'd I, I do it. I wouldn't talk back. I wouldn't think, well, I'm the pastor. I'll tell you what to do. No, if the folks want the thing painted, I'll get the thing painted. It's called having a servant's heart. It's, it's called not 
holding a grudge. It's called not having an attitude. It's called being able to take some direction, take some appointment rather than this. I'm just going to come and I'm going to watch and make sure everybody lives up to my standards. And if they don't, well, then I'll let them have it. Miss Telling. Miss Telling. We have to be able to love, to labor, and to take some admonishment. Romans chapter number 15. You know how you can tell? We're going to want to see something in Romans 15. Romans chapter 15, verse number 14. Verse 13. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. When you see a lack of joy in somebody's face, when you see a lack of joy and peace and goodness, there's something wrong there. We should be a church that cultures that joy and that peace and that goodness. I think it's a good thing to see young ones. Look, we don't want to run in the older saints over. We don't want the little ones, you know, knocking the senior saints over. We don't want any of that. But it's good. It's good to see some fun and some joy and some goodness with some young kids that are in church and are happy to be there. I'm concerned when a child has just, it's just a deer in the headlights all the time. And they're just there. And I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just saying our society has just numbed people. Christian society has numbed people. And if there's not a big to-do going on, there's no joy. Look, we can have fun. It's fun being a Christian. We can have joy. There should be there should be some goodness. There can be some laughter. It's not a sin to laugh. And it's not a sin to smile. Husbands should smile at their wives more. Wives should smile at their husbands more. You'll be surprised how far that'll go. Husband comes in and says, what are you smiling at me for? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> just, just did I do something wrong? It's the wrong response, guys. I'll take no. <laughs> yeah, trying to help, trying to help Wesley out. Look, my personality—I know it's different. I've been told that by many people, many different times. You got to get past my personality. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to make light of things. I'm not trying to. Be irreverent to God. I love God and I love God's word. And I want to do a good job handling his word for God first and for our church family second. Uh, it, let, let me just show you something. Go go over to first. Uh, okay. Go over to first. If I, if I said to the kids, I say go to first crocodiles. But go over to first chronicles. We don't go back to the Old Testament too much. Uh, but that is in, 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 in Chronicles. Okay. But when I say turn over to first crocodiles, I am not making fun of God's word. I am not making fun of the titles of the books of the Bible. Okay. I am not trying to use humor to be rude or offend anybody and if and, and and if it offends you i am i am sorry that it's not my intent if i say turn back to the book of levi tuckus 
I am not making fun of the book of Leviticus. I have great reverence for God's word. If I say, if I say turn to Habakkuk, is it Habakkuk or is it Habakkuk? It means these are long words. You can go anywhere where in the world and they can be pronounced different. Now, let, let me show you. Look at look at First Chronicles. Because this is what I mean when people want to fight and make charges about nothing. Okay? So when I say these names, uh, look at verse number two. Uh, first book of Chronicles, chapter number one. Now, we're going to do a little exercise with me. We're all going to read together in first crocodiles. I mean, first chronicles. I'm not trying to be irreverent to God's word. I love God's word. We can have some. We can lighten up a little bit. Look, ready? Let's start reading. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Lamech, Noah. Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach. Okay, now stop. Did every single one of us read those names exactly the same way? Is anybody being irreverent? No. If we live back in that time, they probably all tell us you're saying my son's name wrong. No one's trying to be disrespectful of God's word. So please, if you hear me read a book of the Bible differently than the way you would say it, I am not trying to be disrespectful to God's word. I love the word of God. Every word of God is pure. I'm not changing any of it. I love the word of God. Okay. So I'm not jesting, not making fun of the Bible. I reverence the Bible. I read it every day, study it every day, and want to have you do it as well. Let's go over to 1 Timothy. And I want to define a word here, at least in this context. First Timothy, chapter number three, verse number eight, where we need to be. Okay, okay. Likewise, must the deacons be grave? We're talking about the qualifications for church leadership, leaders in the church, specifically the deacon. Likewise, must the deacons be grave? Now, contrary to what some might have heard, this doesn't mean they're old enough to almost be put in the grave. <laughs> it's I, I'm not jesting and I'm not trying to be grave like I'm just half dead. People think that to be grave, I shouldn't say people, some people think in order to be grave, you just need to sit there like a dead corpse. And that person is grave. And somehow that's supposed to be some real high sign of reverence. Well, like we were talking about this morning, if you put me and Brother Tom in a meeting uh, and we both go to apply for a job and they talk about it afterwards, one guy's going to say, hey, what's with the guy that's so lively and won't be quiet? And the other's going to say, hey, what's with the guy that sits there and he's not as lively and doesn't talk so much? And you know what both of that is? Personality. You know who's doing something wrong? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. God made us a certain way. Some people are just more quiet. And they're more reserved. It doesn't mean they're more spiritual. It just means that's their personality. Kelly had told me before, you know, people accused him before of being intimidating. Listen, he's not. He's a nice guy. He's not intimidating. 
it's just that if you don't know him, and if you don't get close enough to know him, you would think that. It's just his personality. It's just the way, but that's not, it's a false accusation. Once you get to know him, he's not intimidating. Okay? Don't let anybody be afraid of Brother Kelly. Nice, very nice. You see how we draw conclusions based on not enough information? We don't get to know somebody long enough. So what does it mean to be grave? Let's get back to the text. Uh, because when you get down to verse 11, it says, even so must their wives be grave. Well, they must have to be super old, too, and just act like they're a corpse. No, it doesn't mean that. It means gravity. What does gravity do? It pulls you down to earth. You know what somebody that is grave is? You know somebody's wife who would be grave as well? It would be two couples that are just down to earth. They're just good old-fashioned, down-to-earth Christian folk that can just love you. They're just down-to-earth. They're not so high up here that they're just way, 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 way above everybody. No, they're just grave. They're just down here, like gravity would be, down to earth, ready to serve, getting as low as they can go so they can relate to you and relate to me. That's what you want as a deacon. That's what it means to be grave. We want to be we want to we want to have that attitude of graveness. Keep going over to Titus chapter number two. You know how the aged men can be a great example, whether they're a deacon or not, they should be grave. It says that the aged men may be sober, grave, temperate, sound of faith and charity and patience, grave, down to earth. Can we all commit to doing that? If we hear something or see something, Let's just kind of try to be down to earth about it. Let's not overanalyze it. Let's not jump to conclusions that may or may not be right. Go over to Proverbs chapter 15. Let's look at two verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse number 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. A lot of times, the outward is used to hide the inward. You ever have a building that's infested with mold? And it's all up in it. You can put some wallpaper over it. You can maybe paint it. You can put some paneling over it. But it don't get rid of the mold. It's still lurking underneath. And it's eventually going to expose itself. We need to be careful about putting more emphasis on our outward. More emphasis on our haircut than our heart cut. More emphasis on our outward than our inward. More emphasis on our, well, what it says here. A merry heart will make what? A cheerful countenance. The way, and then it says, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. I want to see some merriment, some joy. And I really believe the Lord is working in our little small community of believers in that way where we have we can see it in our countenance that's a cheerful that's a merry heart it says and that will make a cheerful countenance so let's let's just take that to heart proverbs chapter 17 look at verse 22 move along a little bit quicker now a merry heart doeth good like a medicine but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. I, I don't believe the pulpit should be used for telling jokes. If you want to, um, 
if you want to go to comedy hour, you know, I'm sure they have a nice show in Nashville where you're going to have someone tell jokes for an hour. But at the same time, I don't think it's wrong or sinful to have some humor, to tell a humorous story, to tell. I know I just said not telling jokes, but if somebody cracks a joke, they're not being irreverent. There could be a spirit behind that that's irreverent. And that's one thing. There could be a tone about it, or there could be somebody that's just constantly, it's just joke after joke after joke after joke after joke, and it's comedy hour. Nobody's coming to church for that. We want to hear the word of God. But if you have a story, or you have an application, or you have a little humorous joke that you're going to insert that's applicable to the message, and it's going to edify the saints, and it's going to break the monotony or whatever it is, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean someone isn't being grave. It doesn't mean somebody's jesting. It doesn't mean someone's using God's word irreverently. It just means they've got some joy and some cheerfulness, and they want you to have it too. Say it. One way to cheer, to cheer your wife up sometimes is to tell a joke because she'll either laugh or cry. And sometimes the tears will turn into laughter because the joke's so bad. All I'm saying is you can use humor in a good way, in a good way. And I think the book of Proverbs show that there's nothing wrong with cheerfulness. There's nothing wrong with a merry heart. Merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. That's why a lot of churches are just dried up. People complain. And, and, you know, rightfully so. There's a lot of independent fundamental Baptist churches that are closing their doors across the United States. And it's not just because of COVID. It's not just because the people or the culture in general don't want a good Bible-believing church. That's certainly a big part of it. But there's also a part where things just dried up. There's no joy there. There's no goodness there. There's no fun there it's as if if you laugh or if you smile or if you're if the kids are actually running and playing and laughing and jumping that somehow well this can't be christian no it is it's good it's cheerfulness it's joy and that's what we want that's what god wants it doesn't mean look have fun without being funny have some joy without turning into a, a jesting fool. We get all of that. Sunday school teacher will teach the children that. That there's a difference. And that's what I'm trying to bring across tonight. Let's be joyful. Let's be joyful. Galatians chapter 5. When I say, because... I, apparently I've said this quite a bit when I say to wait for the spirit of God to move I do not by any means am I trying to tell you that there isn't any urgency at all for you to live right now I believe in holy living. I believe in obedience to God. I believe in right living. I believe in standards, uh, biblical standards. I believe in holding the line on, on, on dress standards and music standards. And we talked a little bit about that this morning. I believe in all of that. So when I say allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in someone's life and wait on the Spirit of God, I don't mean that there is no urgency for you right now to make some changes. Whatever they are between you and God, do it now. Yeah. I full heartedly believe that. If there's something between you and a brother or something between you and a sister or something between you and a spouse or something between you and a coworker, get the thing right now. If you're not living right in, in, Area A or area B or area C or area D. Get it right now. When I say wait on the spirit. What I mean is. 
if I preach a message hammering sin, the sin of alcohol, one brother over here might get rid of his alcohol that afternoon. But the brother over here that doesn't, what do we do? Do we throw them out? Do we gather up some brothers and show up at his door and storm our way in and take his bottle of liquor off of his cabinet and force him to pop the bottle and pour it all down the toilet and force him to get rid of it and pour it all down the sink? We can't have them lead the youth alley. We're not going to give him a spot on Sunday school if we know he's drinking. We're not going to not preach hard against liquor and drinking alcohol because we don't want to offend him. No, we're going to use the Bible to offend him. <laughs> but we need to allow the spirit of God to move in that man's life. Because if I force it, if you force it, he'll do it for the wrong reasons. And it didn't do anything for that man at all. Except clean out the outward and he's still infested with mold. He or she has to make that decision. Do you know I've heard stories as well as I'm sure you have. Someone gets saved, they dump all their liquor down the toilet. Someone else gets saved and a year or two or three or four or five years later, they finally get convicted about the thing and they get rid of it. What is that? That's called the Holy Spirit. And that's called somebody yielding to the Holy Spirit. Like we talked about this morning. It's, I will preach holy living. I will preach righteous living. I will preach against sin. I will draw the line, especially with any youth draw coming up. Parents can rest assured that Brother Jimmy is going to make sure if we do anything with the youth, it's going to be on the up and up. But if you think you can force this stuff into people, not God's way. So when I say wait on the spirit, look at, uh, where, where did we say? We're in Galatians 5, right? Look at Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse number 16. Then I say, or this I say then, sorry. Verse number 16, verse 5, or chapter 5. Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So for anybody that's listening that, that thinks that thinks that I don't think there should be a message of urgency, let me clear the table on that. There's a sense of urgency to right now walk in the spirit. And as you walk in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, you're going to wait on the spirit. And as you walk on the spirit, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. We're preaching this this morning. Spirit versus the flesh. Go over to Galatians 5, verse 25. Look at the end here. Here it is. This is, this is perfect. If we live in the spirit, that's right now, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and being one another. So here's my urgent message to you. Live in the spirit right now. Walk in the spirit right now, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And there's a sense of urgency to do that in every area of your life, not just on Sunday. That means how you talk, how you think, the words you say, the people you associate with, all of it. Walk in the spirit. All right. How many of you are for obeying God's word? All right, if you're for if you're for obeying God's word, say amen. 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 All right, okay, okay. Obeying God's word. I think. Let me see if I got this right. Let's go over to Romans. Romans, 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 Romans. Chapter 5. All right, Romans chapter number 5. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. People that are constantly harping on you and a preacher that is constantly harping on you to always follow their exact commands typically don't like grace and gift. I've been parenting long enough to know that for as many rules that I have for my kids, I probably don't have enough grace and I probably don't have enough gift. And if you've parented, some of you have parented a lot, lot longer than I have. Some of you are just getting started parenting. You probably can relate to this. If you look back, you had more commands and rules, which are great because I'm for them. You probably didn't have enough grace and enough gift. Yet, we want to point them to our creator God, who is the God of grace, who saves by grace, who helps us live by grace. And he offers his gift freely to everyone who would receive that gift. That is freely given because God saves by his grace. Amen. I'm just saying, don't throw away the rules. And I'm just telling you, these parents that are, the kids can't do anything. Fun is a sin. Slouching is a sin. Not tying your shoes is a sin. Wearing shoes without laces is a sin. Not having, uh, you know, the top button buttoned on your shirt is a sin. Having a, a, a polka dot tie is a sin. It has to be one color, and I'll pick the color because whatever color I pick is the righteous color. It's a bunch of junk. Where's grace? But on the other hand, look, I want to obey God. I want to have rules for my family and my home that are going to help us all stay safe within, within the protection of the fence that God has on his rules and his commandments. So I'm for it all. I am. I'm for all of that. But not at the expense of grace. And I am not going to exalt. I'm not. God help it. I'm not going to exalt one person or one couple or one family or a group of people that want to just make it about everybody conform to what we do. Which brings us to Let's get Romans 6.16. 6, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, I'm for obedience of God's word. His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death. My message would be do not sin, it hurts you, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we were servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin. How were you made free? By grace. A gift freely given. You became the servants of righteousness. So instead of always trying to do things in the flesh, try to serve based on the imputed righteousness that God gave you. And just give him all the glory. Um, you'll find people will come and then they will conclude they can't fellowship with you or they can't fellowship with us or they can't attend church here because of this or that or the other. Let's go over to the book of First Corinthians, though, because <laughs> that book kind of. First Corinthians was a mess. <laughs> They're getting drunk. They're just living after their flesh. Oh, boy. No liberty. Marriage is messed up. Whole kit and caboodle. And you know what God says? In First Corinthians chapter 1, in verse number 2, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that aren't good enough in Christ Jesus. No, 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. This Corinthian church was a mess. And I thank God that the church we, our local body, I mean, we're all the body of Christ, right? But our local body, because we believe in a local church, meaning people locally should assemble. <laughs> and people locally should serve and obey God. That I don't have to pastor people living like the Corinthians were living. <laughs> I'm thankful for gracious Christian folks that have been nothing but a help to everybody here. But Paul's dealing with these Corinthians and they're a mess. And you know what God calls them in the second verse? Saints. They're sanctified. It's the church of God. Because every place to call upon Jesus Christ, our Lord gets to be able to claim that. Did Paul leave the fellowship because they didn't dress like he dressed because they didn't talk like he talked because they didn't act like he acted, because they didn't preach like he preached because they didn't teach the lesson with the same analogies that Paul teach the lessons. Nope. He stayed and they were doing a lot worse. Read the book of first Corinthians and you find that whole thing was a mad whole outfit was a mess. And he stayed and you know what he did? He preached against their sin. And you know why they changed? Because God's spirit moved upon them. So you want to you want a pastor or a preacher or a teacher or a brother that's among you following you home every evening, making sure you're watching what I think you should watch and you're reading what I think you should read and you're listening. And I'm listening to how much music you got that's got syncopation in the background. I mean, is that what you want? I don't want to do that. I want to go home and read my own books and go to sleep, take a nap. <laughs> I don't have time to do that. You don't have time for me to do that. Nobody's got time for that. That's a real Christian. A Pharisee does. A legalist does. Somebody that's just showing up to show you, look, I'm arrived. Everybody conformed to us. Nope. Not going to happen. Paul stuck with these Corinthians, preached on their sin, and they eventually got it right. Looked better in the second in two Corinthians. Isn't that Trump said it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> all right, all right. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm much more apt to listen to someone that's stuck around long enough. I mean, think about it. If you were running a company, you had an employee. I mean, they stuck with you thin, thick and thin. I got two I'm thinking of right now. And, man, things got so bad after the last year, I wouldn't have blamed them for leaving. But, you know, you got most people have two or three or maybe four or five people that have just stuck with them through thick and thin. Man, I'm apt to listen to that person. When they say, hey. Well, Jimmy, I got to pull you aside and talk to you about something. I'm, a, I'm open ears. I want to learn. Okay, what did I do? But people just want to pop in, pop out, observe a little, critique a little, and then just kind of leave and then leave all these things you need to do to correct yourself. Look, you better stick around. You better spend some time going out door knocking with us. If you're so spiritual, come out door knocking with us. If you're so spiritual, I'm downtown on Friday. If it's not raining, I don't have to work. Why don't you come down to your spiritual family? Uh, really? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be rude. If you're so spiritual, why don't you stick around and help all those unspiritual people here out? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. If, if, if we don't teach the Bible right, well, then, all right, well, you keep coming. We'll give you a Sunday uh, sermon, and we'll let you fix all the sins of the congregation in one, in one, in one go at it. Go ahead. You know why? It ain't going to happen because that's not what they care about. That's not what they care about. They care about finding out how you don't measure up and just letting you know about it. So 
Romans chapter 12, verse 16. I'm not being too negative tonight, am I? Just, no, sir. I don't know. Uh, okay. I said before that we're not all going to agree on everything. So let me qualify that. I don't mean that we can just believe in a non-Trinitarian God. I don't believe we can compromise on any of these essential doctrines, deity of Christ, the virgin birth. And we have all of these essential things, Jesus Christ, the sinless sacrifice, salvation by grace, plus minus nothing. We can go on down the line of all the stuff that's just, we're not budging on this. This is why churches have doctrinal statements. That's why the mega church is just, you know, the doctrinal statements page is just believe. <laughs> it just says, you know, have faith. They don't want you to believe no, but we do. Our doctrinal statements tend to be longer. And they actually tend to have Bible scripture verses. But Romans chapter 12, verse 16, the Bible says, watch this. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So the same people that say, well, we need to be of the same mind. We have to be able to agree. I mean, the Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. So let me qualify a few things. We would not be able to walk in agreement. We would not to be able to fellowship if you believe that we need to have water to save us. If you believe that you need to surrender and give up all of your sins prior to salvation and clean up your life prior to all of these heretical views on salvation, we won't be able to walk in agreement on. It's going to be a ministering effect. The relationship will be one ministering to another. Some of you men probably have relationships with your neighbors or your coworkers or old friends from the past, where when you catch up, it's a ministering relationship where you're trying to get them you're using that relationship to try to get them to turn over their life and see that they need to trust Christ and repent of what they've been trusting in. And you're ministering to them. And some of you have coworkers or friends or neighbors that you get together and it's more of a fellowshipping relationship. What does that mean? You're saved. Now you're talking about, oh, what do you think about this in the Bible? What do you think about that in the Bible? How's life going? There's relationships that are based on fellowship. There's relationships based on ministering. So it would be really, really hard to walk in agreement if everybody had a different view on salvation. Everybody had a different view on uh, the Trinity, right? We are not. The reality of it is we are not going to agree on all things. What do you mean by that? Well, February 14th, October 31st, whenever the whenever the the uh, fertility rites of spring happen, because, you know, the resurrection is a different day every year based on and then December 25th. And do you really think that I expect anybody to agree with the holidays that the way that I teach the holidays? Not a chance. Matter of fact, I expect people to look at me and think, is this guy crazy? That's what I expect. Because my job isn't to force you to have to see it the way I see it. My job is to give you the word of God. My job is to study these things out. My job is to make sure we're not caught up in tradition. My job is to give you thus saith the Lord. And then honestly, I care, but I don't care that much. I care about you. I love you. I want you to do God's word. I want you to live for God. But at the end of the day, I love you where I'm okay with you not seeing it the way I see it. Because it's not about me forcing you to do something. God doesn't force. So why should his ministers force? We're talking about when G on Thursday nights. We're talking about what happens between the three days when Jesus dies. He died on the cross. 
And then three days and three nights, he rises again. And we're talking about heart of the earth stuff, paradise, moved, jabbing keys, going through it. Do you really think everybody's going to see that exactly the same way? I study the word. I try to cross-reference everything. I try to give you God's word. I don't know everything. I mean, God forbid if we get to Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Is it gap back or gap theory? Do you really think we're going to split a church over that? What do you think about that? Who cares right now? The point is, we are not all going to agree with each other on everything. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. When I say that, I don't mean throw doctrine out. I don't. When I say that, I don't mean be irreverent to God's word. When I say that, I mean what I preach and teach from the Bible. I wholeheartedly believe it's scriptural. I want you to consider it. I want you to study it for yourself. I want you to read what I asked you to read, and I want you and God to work it out. It's not my job to force it. And if somebody thinks that I am not giving enough sense of urgency, I'm sorry. If somebody thinks I'm not slamming people hard enough, I'm sorry. I think I go as hard and fast as I can. But I am not a grace hater. I am not a gift hater. I, I probably live like that a good bit. You got to do it my way. And it don't work. Friendships, it don't work in relationships. It doesn't work with parenting. It doesn't work with church family. It don't work. I want to be around people that love grace, love the God of grace, love the gift of grace, have some joy and have some goodness and can be like Paul and praise God, we're not like the first Corinthian, the one Corinthian church saying the book of the Bible the wrong way. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I'm just trying to, I don't know, have fun or laugh a little. I'm not trying to jest or make fun. I love God's word. I love his people. We need to be in agreement on a lot of things. But there's some things that nobody is going to see 100% the same way. And that's all I mean. That's all I mean. Let's try to keep a good, joyful, merry countenance, be patient. If we're going to teach grace, if we're going to preach grace, if we have the gospel of grace, let's not forget to be gracious. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.